everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know. Not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or it's okay even to know what you believe and why you believe it. It's a place where we explore our relationship with the divine and we explore what it means to be a person of faith in this life together. My name is Nathan Whitaker. Hello, my name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to say do what we said we would do last year, which is we are going to start a positive project. And by that, we mean we're going to try to build something rather than just uh, give voice to the voice we all need, which, which addresses the concerns of the systems that we find ourselves in. Whether there will still be some of that, plenty of that going on too, there I will imagine. Be, yeah. But I think the focus is shifting a little bit. Hopefully. Yeah, we don't want to end there. We don't want to be have that be the primary thing that we talk about. There will be exceptions, I'm sure, especially when we haven't given voice to those concerns or when we have a guest on and they want to give voice to those concerns. Or when terrible things happen in the world. Not that right. that's a thing that we have to worry no, about these days, no. but... Last you two know, years have been really smooth, or six years a, have been really smooth. It's been like a, a gentle spring breeze, haven't they? It's just been so easygoing and no concerns. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happier than I've ever been. <laughs> well, you know, ironically enough, I think that might be true, but yeah. that's, that's a separate topic. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we want to we want to start thinking about forging not a new path necessarily, but forging a way to uh, practice this frontier faith. I think that would be a good way to think about it. Um, and it, it's not the way by any stretch. We got into many of the problems we've were in by trying to seek the way, but. Uh, as I've started to learn, there are no right answers, but there are plenty of wrong answers. And we want to avoid the wrong answers as best as we can and give potential right answers as we do that. Um, yeah, I don't know if there are, like you said, there's not necessarily a whole bunch of right answers, but there are certainly right directions <laughs> or, right. you know, like better directions to go. Um, that's, yeah. And we want to explore those, and we're going to get pretty specific as time goes on. But today we wanted to kind of feel out, uh, I was going to say cast out, but we don't know what we're casting necessarily as we go into this, um, because that's the way we do our podcast, is we just kind of shoot from the hip as we talk together in conversation. Yeah, and if uh, you don't like it, start your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we want to feel out what a new path or a new way might be for the broad sense of being a Christian or Christianity, even though I'm really uncomfortable saying that word anymore. Uh, but what would it what would it mean to be a Christian in today's world? What would it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What would it mean to uh, believe and act in the ways that Scripture, the New Testament, and uh, the Hebrew Scriptures uh, purport about God and how we react to that. Uh, well, I think it's very large church buildings with fat bank accounts, <laughs> shiny objects, and uh, what am I missing? What am I missing? Um, well, lots of people. People, right, right, yeah. In the in the build the giant buildings that we yeah. built. People is generous in that word. Lots of <laughs> lots of bodies. Bodies in the in the seats. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so let's talk about that a little bit. What has been the general? Um, I'll start with my answer. But what has been the general uh, way of being a Christian, especially in American Christianity, and maybe only? I don't know. Um, I don't know the rest of the world, um, but. I think we can start by saying, uh, let's start theologically, because that has bearings on everything Ryan just said. Um, theologically, uh, being Christian means, first of all, being saved in one capacity or another. There are nuances through different denominations and different expressions of that. Um, and 
because one is saved, one is also encouraged or expected uh, to save others. Hmm. Well, yeah, and being saved is kind of the whole point. Um, Like that's that's why why we all do what we do theoretically. Yeah, we build churches to Mm -hmm. either draw people in or be a locus to send people out to save others Mm -hmm. and to receive that salvation while we're there in the church building. And Ryan and I both represent two different heritages in our our growing up and now two other different ways of living within that uh, identity that we have. Um, Lutherans would say, that uh, the way we talk about this is we are to bring people to word and sacrament in the church. And word and sacrament is our code for having people realize that Jesus died for their sins and save them from um, eternal damnation. Uh, poor, although, miserable sinners. Yeah, those poor, miserable sinners. But really, it was more, uh, even though it was about saving other people, I think um, the salvation was really around the people who came to church. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's the difference between you and me, I think, and our, our heritages, because of that phrase that you just said, poor, miserable sinner. And so we brought people into the church to make them feel really shitty about being people <laughs> and telling them that the, their only way out to feeling shitty uh, is Jesus and actually really that that's not different. I mean, the way they get there is a little different, but that, I mean, I think that's all the same kind of thing, right? It, it, it was more focused on making that decision. If you like the, you know, the deciding to, to follow Jesus or, you know, some, uh, get saved, so to speak. Um, but the rest of it is all the same. And how do they do that? Well, we bring them to church and they, uh, we convince them that they are sinners um, and that usually there's some eternal component in there, like you said, about, um, well, you, you know, if you died today, you don't, you yeah. want to know where you're going to end up. You right. could leave here and get hit by a truck, as I heard in kids' church more than once. Um, but the, the rest of it, I mean, it's the same thing, right? You are a sinner. Jesus died so that you could be saved and go to heaven rather than hell, which is where you were where you're going if you don't. Um, And then the idea after that is once you get saved, now you're part of the church. And so you're in our group. And theoretically, you should keep coming to church and be involved in things. And like, I think that part is basically the same. Yeah, but I think the difference between our experiences is that you had a heavier emphasis on taking that message to other people in your family, your community, your neighborhood. Uh, We always said that as Lutherans, but um, it wasn't where the the emphasis was. I think you're right about that. I mean, I remember hearing like, oh, you know, seeing really terrible. There was this they were like they would like travel around to churches. It was this play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. And there was this one scene uh, where two people died at the same time and one was going to get to heaven and one was going to hell. And the one going to hell was like, why didn't you tell me? You know, as the devil <laughs> yeah. drags them into the smoke. <laughs> I mean, to hell. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember. Or actor. Every yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember feeling that pressure really like to tell my friends at school and, um, you know, a lot of people with their families, my whole family is, is filled with those kinds of Christians. So it was never my family, but it was everybody else. And, um, yeah, definitely a very, uh, evangelistic approach to salvation in that that was what everybody, that was our main job. And even like we've talked about before, you know, we had whole ways to tell them these five scriptures and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. Um, Well, and we've talked about how we haven't drawn the connections necessarily, but a lot of what we've talked about comes from this general assumption that we are to save others. So, um, any conversation around what is or is not sin is rooted in 
we got to make sure people know that what they're doing is sinful so that way they can repent and receive Jesus. Even, even quote, good people, right? It's not just drug addicts or whatever group of people you want to feel superior to because <laughs> you're a self-righteous asshole. Um, but whoever <laughs> it is, it's it, even the, quote, good people because nobody's good enough. Yeah, but it also speaks to the cultural issues somewhat. I mean, there's they're complex with everything, right? There's always misogyny around mm-hmm. abortion. There's always homophobia around LGBTQ issues. Mm-hmm. Yet, theologically, part of the problem, or maybe the core, I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to say that, is that they see that that sin is separating them from God mm-hmm. enough that they need to give it up in order to whatever. And of course that sin being their language, not mine. It, right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's how it would be framed for sure. Right. Exactly. And you could take this with everything. Why do we talk about heaven and hell so much as Christians? Well, because that's the goal. <laughs> Why do we talk about Jesus so much? Well, we, we listen to what Jesus says about, depending on your denominational flair, about his teachings uh, that tell us about how to live a life that's worth living um, for the sake of not Lutherans would judge and say earning salvation, but making sure you're not sinning and uh, avoiding those problems Um, for the Lutheran expression. I'd say most of our preaching on Jesus is about him (laughs) declaring who he is so that he's always the salvific uh, person on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. The, the God, God man on the cross that saves us from our sins and death and so forth. Um, And you could almost always boil down anything we've talked about on this podcast down to some sort of salvation narrative, if not as a core, which I'm really skeptical about, but certainly as an aspect of all those things that we've talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, everything else that the church those churches, you know, our churches did was because the goal was to get people saved. That's why people would go be missionaries, whether that was overseas or um, whether that was closer to home. That was why people were pastors. That's why we went to church. That's why we had, oh, various things where, you know, we'd try to get people to invite non-Christians to things at church, whether that was some Mm -hmm. silly not Halloween party or, (laughs) you know, a special speaker or music or, I don't know, take your pick, right? Food banks, you name it. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was, if not, I think probably all of it was done to try to get people saved. And Lutherans are the same thing. Um, We just use different language. For any Lutheran out there, um, I know that we don't talk this way in terms of getting people saved, but as a Lutheran in a very Lutheran Mecca type city, I can tell you the number one thing everybody wants to know is how many baptisms you've got. Mm-hmm. Like that is the thing. Um, if you're not getting baptisms, then uh, traditional Lutherans think that you're not doing your job well, because baptism saves, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's like you're coming to, about it from the other direction, we are. Yeah. but it's the, you're right. It's kind it's of like a different mechanism. If you take yeah. a string and hold it one way, they're two opposite sides. But then when you put it in a circle, they're right. the same thing. Right it's kind of how I think mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about that. This is just getting us on the same page with you as you're listening with the two of us as we're talking about this. Because um, we've talked enough about why that's a problem, right? It, it brings about a lot of the issues that we're just not happy with about right. judgmentalism and about... It otherizes um, people so easily. Right. Like, just like, yeah. And it allows for the power disruptions or, or uh, not disruptions, the power disparities that we mm-hmm. see in the church and how... Uh, pastors treat people and people treat pastors and how Christians treat non-Christians and all that kind of stuff. If, if eternal life is the, the thing that's dangling on the, on the fish hook, then you can do anything that you want to, as long as you're pronouncing that gospel quote unquote message Mm -hmm. of eternal life. And that's simplistic. Sure. But that is, uh, an assumption it's not the only assumption but it is an assumption of christian life all all over the place 
So, so what are we talking about then here? Are we talking about we need a different gospel? Uh, you know, like in the sense of like the one we were told, you know, might have been off base. <laughs> and so we need a different one. Are we trying, like, are we saying you don't need to get saved? I mean, <laughs> that's not what we're saying, but I'm just saying like, what are we, um, I mean, or are we, I don't know. What are we, what are we doing here today? Yeah. Um, just to be a bit scandalous. Yeah. I think we are saying let's find a different gospel, mm. but there's a huge caveat here. That's because the gospel that's being proclaimed around salvation is not the true gospel. It's not, is not what we see in scripture. Um, is not the, what we, go ahead, yeah. sorry. it's not what we believe in practice. Yeah. At the very, very, very least, it's not the only one, right? Um, at the very least, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to like, I'm not saying this just to caveat myself to not feeling anxious <laughs> because I admit it still is hard for me to go there because it's, it's real ingrained, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, at the very least that can't be the, the whole of it because I mean, well, if the gospel is good news that brings life, we've enumerated many times and not just us. I mean, listen to anybody who has, you know, who has gone through some kind of deconstruction process or left the church or whatever, clearly it didn't bring life, right? Right. So at the very least, it needs some tweaking. But I honestly think that I think you're right. I think we're past tweaking. Um, I think that uh, it's time for some serious exploration of either this is a fundamental aspect that's been missing or maybe that's got to go and we need to replace it entirely. It's, it's somewhere in there. I'm not sure which or where yet. Yeah. Personally speaking, I mean. Well, it's, I just want to name what you just said. It's obviously tough, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in our American context, this is what we've been taught as Christianity. Um, and yet I don't see Jesus preaching this way. I just don't see him doing it. Um, the closest I see is with, um, Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Hebrews has very strong language that talks about Jesus dying for our sins, but that's a problem because Hebrews is very clearly using an image to describe the work of Jesus. I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews makes it obvious that's what they're doing of Jesus as the high priest and then it goes into all the different parts of that metaphor right plus are we sure we know what they mean when they say jesus died for our sins right like right. i know what yeah. we were told that it means what we just went over at the beginning you know lost in sin on the way to hell jesus died now we don't have to like that's what i was told that means but i wonder like it would be hard for me to say that jesus didn't in some way die for our sins right um but i don't i i feel like it there's got to be more to it than that and maybe that's not what it means at all um what we were told i mean yeah well, it's for our sins in a moral sense, right? So we, there's this whole idea of morality within the church that uh, it's kind of like the good place, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's that good place mentality, which is a TV show on NBC. If if you haven't watched it, the first episode or first season's really great at, at highlighting this of uh, the, the good things you do earn you good points. Mm -hmm. The bad things you do earn you bad points. And the goal of life is to have more good than bad. Right? Which is funny because I've been told by more than one evangelical type person that that show is no good because that's not how it works. And yet, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, maybe you don't like it because it hit a little too close to home. actually. Right. And what Jesus does in this system for evangelicals and dying for your sins is erasing the bad points is right. all that is right. In that metaphor. Um, yeah. So that way, those bad things, both present, past, and future, all three of them, are not counted against you. Um, sometimes future depends on the you know nuances. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but um, but yeah. nevertheless, they're not those those sins are not things that you have to worry about because you're thinking of things from 
a sin as morality perspective rather than, and I think you're right here, maybe there's another way to see sin, but we have to really grapple with our salvation, our dependency on salvation to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I would argue if you are basing all of your theology around sin and evil, then you've got a problematic theology, right? Right. I mean, yes, I agree. And like I was thinking too, like even the other, like you hear John the Baptist telling people to repent for the kingdom is near, right? Um, speaking about Jesus, I think, mm-hmm. with, with the kingdom. But even that, it's like, well, I'm not, and I'm pretty sure you're not saying that you don't have to, re- like that repentance doesn't matter right. anymore. No. But um, it, it's like, but John also didn't say, <laughs> you know, I mean, John the Baptist or any number of them, any of them, Jesus, any of them could have said, laid it out in explicit words, just like we were taught, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what I'm getting at is we were given a very explicit framework, but you don't find it laid out that way explicitly by anyone in the New Testament, right? Sure, yeah. there are verses that like that they used to form the Romans wrote about everybody's sinned and th- yes, that's all in there. But the actual framework itself certainly could have been laid out by any of those people like we were taught right. it. And it wasn't. Um I mean, it just wasn't. Sorry, I hate to break that to you. Actually, no, yeah. no, I'm glad to break that to you. <laughs> but it's not it's not in there like that. So well, you mentioned Romans. Not even Paul is as straightforward as the Romans Road characterizes. Well, I mean, yeah, it. it starts in what three and ends in eleven or something like that. Like, yeah. I mean, it takes from all over the place. So clearly, right. if Paul had wanted <laughs> to lay it out as systematically as they say he does, well, then I mean, he would have, right? Yeah, um, he would have. But that's not saying I think why we need to start at salvation and and we're going to get to the positive here real quick, real soon. But um, it turns all of life into some sort of exchange Mm -hmm. that God has already taken care of. And if life is just an exchange of some sort, sin, death, life, whatever, you know, we could go into a consumeristic rant and say how that just makes us uh, weird capitalist Christians, and certainly it no, does. not us. Um, but I think for me, it misses, at the very least, it misses the fullness of what Scripture is saying, which is what we're talking about here. There are many more metaphors for what Jesus is doing, many different ways that Jesus talks about it. In fact, he doesn't talk about it this way at all, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um of dying for our sins. Um, he doesn't talk about it like that. Paul sort of does. Um, so we need to at least explore, even if you're on like the very right hand side of this whole journey of the frontier faith, um, right being theologically, um, then you need to, uh, then I would suggest you don't need to do anything, but what I would encourage you to do is at least explore this as other options for a fullness of what scripture says, rather than trying to pick one path that you have to go down or other emphasis emphases. Is that how you say that? Right? Like, so I was just thinking as we're talking about how there was such an eternal weight given to this, right? The the reason for this is we don't want to go to hell is is mm-hmm. at the core of it, I think, even yeah. if they would say that wasn't. Like they would say the point is to know Jesus, but really it's because none of us want to go to hell. Right. And so I wonder, as part of a more positive way of approaching this for myself, is just as an example, like what does salvation look like if it's if it doesn't have that eternal component as it's only point, right? So I mean, well, I mean, I don't believe in hell. So that that makes it a little easier, right? But what if, for example, what does salvation mean if we don't talk about heaven, you know, um, as an example of something like this? And so what are some other dimensions of salvation if salvation is not primarily focused on eternity, as we've been told, you know? And we could do it the other way too. What does heaven look like if salvation is not the thing that mm-hmm. gets you there, if you will? 
Right. What if, what if heaven or hell or whatever is, um, not tied to the penal substitution or that's just one specific metaphor and approach to that theology, but salvation in general, what if it's not tied to those things? And I think, uh, what we should do is explore one or two of what it would look like to be a Christian without this guiding assumption in our lives. And I want to start with uh, love. Uh, I think that's a really important place to start. Um, what does that have to do with Christianity? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we see love more precisely, or let's say more obviously mentioned in the New Testament rather than the Hebrew scriptures. However, that doesn't mean we don't find God's love in the Hebrew scriptures. It just is spoken in a different way than we can appreciate and understand. So what I'm going to recommend is that we start really in the New Testament, if that's all right, and explore what what it means for God to be loving and then move into um, the Old Testament if we want to, the Hebrew scriptures, or just some of the implications of that. Um, so I, I guess I have my thoughts, of course, but I don't want to preach. Um, I haven't been to Sunday for two weeks uh, <laughs> as a preacher. Uh, so uh, Ryan, what do you think about when you think of God's love outside of salvation? We're going to really try to make sure we don't get to salvation in our language. Do you see what just happened here, folks? He brings up the idea, says, I want to talk about it, and then throws it to me and makes me start the yep, discussion. I do. <sighs> What do I think about God's love outside of, do you mean outside of salvation entirely or outside of salvation as we, you know, we're taught, we're taught it? Um, well, you answer that how you want to, and then we'll see Man, if it this leads guy, us. I tell you. <laughs> we'll see if it gets us to salvation and then we can put up some, some, uh, not barriers, but some, you know, yeah, bumpers to get us away from it. I'll try to throw some bombs in there. You know, that's what I, that's really what I'm here for bomb throwing. <laughs> um, I guess the thing that comes to mind first, uh, as we're just exploring this is if this kind of fits with what I was saying earlier, I guess, but God's love separate from salvation to me talks a lot more about God's um, involvement in I don't want to say the mundane, although that too, but I more mean like the temporal things, right? So, so God, why does God care what happens in Ryan's life? Well, that's because God loves Ryan, you know, like yeah. why does God work for good for human beings? Well, because God loves humans, right? So, um, and I think when, uh, like I remember always, well, obviously God loves us. God made it so that we can go to heaven. Right. Yeah. And right. Don't get me wrong. I'm still uh, I'm still planning on heaven in whatever form that exists. In. <laughs> you know, it sounds it sounds rad. But um, <laughs> at the same time, heaven doesn't matter much to me if I can't pay my bills or if I don't have enough food or if I'm, you know, the victim of racism or whatever. Um, and so for me, I, I, I think about God's love outside of eternal destination, but also like God loving all of us enough to work on our behalf in whatever way that God does that. Um, sometimes easier to see, sometimes harder to see, like, you know, we've talked about that before, but we, we always talked a lot about, you know, God's will and, and what is God doing, uh, to accomplish God's plans. And I think we always missed it because we were all like trying to map out precise, well, this event and this event and this, and I, you know, I'm not saying those didn't, but I, I think it's more on this idea of whatever God is doing, God is doing things in our lives, and I think within systems and um, all of that as well, because God loves us, and that love then hope, well, no, I think does result in um, in something that in a lot of ways I think is more important than eternal salvation. 
I mean, I know I was always told like, well, what salvation is the only thing that matters because this world is, uh, this life is temporary. Eternity is a long time. And I, I think people who say that have never not known where their next meal was coming from. Yeah. You know, or, um, and I say that as someone who's never been in that position. Right? I'm a relatively privileged uh, spot in life. And yet, um you know, eternity is a long time. Yeah. So is, uh, I don't know how I'm going to, f- where am I going to live when I can't pay for rent? So, um, anyway, does any of that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's a huge, I, I love that answer. Um, the way I process that answer is we're already making a big change. Um, if we're not talking about love connecting to salvation in that, if salvation's not the only thing ma- that matters, it's the first thing that matters, then everything you do is to get people to salvation. And you see the world in such a way that everything that happens happens so that somebody eventually gets to salvation. That's why uh, Christians don't have a, generally speaking, do not have a problem with bad things happening to people in this world because it motivates them to think about you know, changing that situation, or it might be the impetus to get them to seeing how God loves them and that kind of stuff, which is all horseshit, but still. Um, And I think that you really pinpointed one of the, or where that has its uh, being, if you will, which is in time, right? If we're focused on the eternal rather than the temporal, the, the, the not yet rather than the now, then we get into this really weird place where people are no longer people. Love is no really, not really love. It's just opportunity at best. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, let's think about this for a second. It's always flummoxing to me how we think that God can't love us as well as a person can. And, and what I mean by that is let's, let's pretend that I um, let's pretend I, I I have I'm almost bankrupt and I can't pay my bills and I don't have enough food and I go to Nate who's one of my best friends and I tell him this and he says yeah but remember you're gonna graduate in two years right <laughs> or or you know remember like you've yeah. got a long life ahead of you like no he's not gonna do that he's gonna help me out somehow right yeah. and so why do we think that God would do worse <laughs> than than a person who could help, right? I just mean like God's not gonna be like, ah, oh, yes, I know you're hungry, but don't worry. At some point in the future, you're gonna die, and then things will be fine, right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And that shift is huge. I think it's a shift towards the here and now, the present, the shift towards what's happening in the present for not just me, but certainly for other people. Um, because if I'm attuned to the present and how things are impacting me, then I'm also attuned to how it's hurting and helping other people in my life and around the world. But yeah, love being located in the everyday, the mundane, as you said, really takes it away from salvation in an important way, I think. Yeah, the mundane and also the huge, right? Like the the extraordinary, like the the terrifying diagnosis. Like mm-hmm. I was told that that meant that we should that you know maybe you'll get a miracle, and I suppose maybe you will. But I I think more about you get that terrifying diagnosis, and God is there with you when you get it, and through the process yeah. of whatever that ends up looking like, you know, um, and not. You know, this comes up, that kind of stuff comes up a lot for me in work, you know, and I don't tell them, I mean, I'm not saying I never, I've never told someone, well, heaven, you know, like you, like they always say something like I'm going to a better place. And I never say, no, you're not, but I do try to focus. Cause I, I think they are, but I try to focus on the, but also right now, you yeah. know, also yeah. right now you've got your family or you've got, you know, God is with you in this way and, and God is with you in that way. And I don't know, you know, that kind of stuff, because, um, you know, I saw somebody this week who her husband has been sick with various neurological things for 12 years and mm-hmm. they've been to every doctor and everything. And, and, you know, she was telling about how hard it's been. And, and the thing that I could have said that would not be helpful was, yeah, but you know, it'll all be worth it when he goes to heaven. Right. Like, yeah. You know, so 
anyway, I think it's um it's kind of refocusing it in that way, if only because don't we think that God could love us at least as well as people could love us? I mean, I think God loves us in a way that people can't and and more yeah. so and yeah. far, you know. Um, but at the very least, God has to be at least as good as as people right. who love us. Otherwise, God's probably not worth it. I, I mean, I just say that because I'm I'm, yeah. not, I'm confident that that's okay. Because <laughs> I'm God's confident that can, God is better yeah. than that. If if God can't surpass the love that we experience every day from the people that we really love, if we're lucky to experience that, then then that's you know that's not God. That's just right. another human being or another creature or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> just uh, as a really quirky aside, uh, I was listening to a psychologist who was talking about the um, psychology of owning pets. We were talking about pets before we yeah. recorded here. And uh, the person was a, an attachment theory psychologist and mm -hmm. said, pets are just like people in the attachment world. Like yep. they, we form the same attachments to. And so for me, uh, because I love dogs so much, if God can't be better than a dog, because right. a dog loves you unconditionally and really doesn't understand when you're upset at it and that right. kind of stuff, you know, then then God's not all that great. Um, well, I mean, is it James that says if you, uh, you know, if you love you, it's the part about like if if you are able to love uh, people, how much more will God love? Right. You know, I can't yeah. think of the words, but you know the one I mean. Um, yeah, how much I think, more will he love us? Exactly. And I think that's the kind of thing I look at. And for me, that's not about heaven, although I guess you could put it in the mix, right? I mean, like I said, someday heaven sounds nice, but hopefully that's a long time from now. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, bumps or outright craters in the road that happen in people's lives um, between now and then. And um, the God that I think about is one who is involved um, because I mean, like, again, just think about someone you love, whether it's your friend or family or spouse or whoever it is. Um, it's not a very loving relationship. Usually if you uh, talk to them once every 10 years <laughs> or right. say, we're really good friends. I'll see you again when you die. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. like anyway, so maybe I'm repeating myself, but the just that idea of I think it would really help us to look at God's love in a way that is not that is not eternal or at least not focused on just the eternal because eternal doesn't matter that much while you're alive. What what do you think of this metaphor of heaven being the cherry on top? Like mm. It's not it's the whole Sunday. It's the cherry. pretty great, right? Yeah. And everyone, it, if you like cherries, right? Especially those kinds of cherries. I don't know. Like, I, like Daniel will never eat. The, he doesn't like the cherries. Oh, really? You know? So does he like whipped creams? Maybe yeah. That yeah. I mean, your metaphor works. Regardless. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it makes it makes the ice cream just a, a little better, right? Mm -hmm. When you have that. Yeah, I think that if there is a cherry, um, the cherry goes on top of this wonderful Sunday of love that. I can't imagine. I just, I can't believe I just said that. I mean, but. it's, it's quite the, the phrase, but it fits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've been conditioned to think of ourselves outside of time eternally through this salvation metaphor that we've been given that we miss. I, I, I think it's actually incompatible to think about God as um, loving in this life through a salvation metaphor, because his love creates an opportunity for us to be saved. And the only way that we are truly loved is through that salvation. Then, you know, that's why we get some of these weird questions and important questions all at the same time of why does God let bad things happen to good people? And, um, you know, why is there sin in the world at all? And blah, blah, blah. You get all that kind of stuff because you're thinking eternally first and foremost. At least that's my take on it. And yeah. I think that shift away from eternal to temporal makes that love more accessible to us. Yeah. And I know that's going to be a tough sell for a lot of people. I mean, it's 
it's hard for me to, um, it's not hard for me to contemplate, but it's hard for me to contemplate actually adopting in a concrete sort of way, you know, Um, not as hard as it used to be. Uh, But, you know, it it, it is a big change from the got to get them in in the church to say, to, excuse me, to say the sinner's prayer so they don't go to hell. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, look around you, church folks. It's time. I think we're past the point of small. Like it's it's time for that. Those kinds right. of big changes. Uh, I mean, obviously, you don't have to. We can keep doing what we're doing. But again, I would just invite you to do a three sixty degree <laughs> look around and tell me what you see. You know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another one. The one that I thought of, um, because uh, I think it's as important as that one. Um, and that is, uh, if God is love and we see things from love rather than from salvation, then we lean into the inherent value of people rather than the inherent sinfulness of people. Like, uh, the Lutheran confession, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Mm -hmm. That's how we first confront God when we, as Lutherans confess that faith. And we are setting ourselves as sinners first and foremost, instead of as people trying to do the best that we can in this life. Mm. And I go to uh, Matthew where Jesus, and I'm terrible at quoting stuff. Everybody knows that. But where Jesus says, um, look at the birds in the air and the flowers in the field. And if he's taking care of, if God's taking care of them, wouldn't you be How worth much more? Right? Yeah. Yeah. How much more would you be taking care of? And so I think that speaks into the value that you have because who doesn't like looking at a bird or, or flowers, right? We've talked about this before. Um, they're beautiful. Yes. Birds can be annoying and so forth, but looking at a cardinal, who doesn't like to see a cardinal or a blue jay in the window? Um, I can't imagine anybody really. Um, and we know just by seeing them that they're beautiful and they're valuable as creatures. How much more as us? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we think God sees us primarily as sinners? Um, I know why, right? The theology tells us. But Jesus doesn't seem to see us primarily as sinners. In fact, he goes to the quote-unquote sinners, and the people who get upset with him are those that say, hey, you need to be treating them like we see them, right? The tax collectors and the, the sinners and so um, forth. The woman uh, caught in adultery, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Classic example. And the woman who pours the oil on the mm-hmm. on Jesus' feet too. Um, just all over the place. And Jesus, even Judas, right? Like a lot of people wonder, why would you let Judas be there if you knew? And this is all salvation talk because... Um, you're seeing Judas as a sinner first and foremost, and Jesus saw him as a man first and foremost, a man in need of the love that he could give them him, the teaching that he could give him. Um, and for me, I really have noticed that if you see people as sinners first and you put that into this whole schema of salvation and that's how God loves us, then it's very easy to have the inside-outside distinction, that those who are in the church are the right people, those that are are outside are the wrong people, and whatever comes their way, they deserve it. Who cares, right? Well, I mean, think about the—this depends on your tradition, but um, some parts of Christians talk about the elect, right? And that means different things for different people. But I'm thinking about the ones who who view that as some people are just elect from, you know, just through the capricious yeah. nature of God. I guess they wouldn't like that phrase. But anyway, um, I'm just saying like <laughs> that. Like that's a view of this. So. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not losing too much sleep over that. Uh, but all I'm saying is it's kind of a great example of that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been interesting because. Uh, the, I'm I'm done at the current uh, call situation that I was in uh, as pastor. I'm no longer a pastor of that congregation. And, you know, there are many things that I wish I would have done better. Um, but one of the things that I did on accident, really because of my teaching and training 
at the seminary in the post in the doctorate world rather than the seminary world. Uh, and that I leaned into more heavily as time went on is this truth that the people that I preach to are loved. They might not be lovable, but they are <laughs> loved, valuable, certainly valuable people. They are worth the love that God gives to them. They are not primarily sinners. Mm. And it is amazing to see what happens when you treat people like they deserve love. Yep. And for me, let's use that word deserve. And then I want us to maybe unpack this a bit. Christians in America and under the salvation schema believe that people deserve damnation and hell. Right. Right. And I can't think of something more incompatible with the way that Jesus describes his himself and God <laughs> as as people who deserve love. Who wants a God like that? Yeah. I mean, I know some people would say, well, that's not how it works. And it's like, well, maybe it is, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I just think it fits better with not just the God that you see in, in scripture, although I think it does that, but like the God I've experienced in my life, despite, man, I wish I could have known this when I was a teenager and, and early twenties, but um, especially, but the God I actually experienced, despite what I was told was not the one that saw me as, uh, that would love nothing more than to hurl me into the pits of hell, if not for Jesus saying, no, wait a minute, please don't. Yeah. Jesus kind of gets in the way of God in that. It's like God schema, gets right? jollies from throwing people into the bonfire for eternity. And, and it's just, I, I, one, God better not be that way. And two, if we are, then we're kind of, it's a waste of time to worry about it, honestly. But more than that, like, I just don't see that God. Um, and if yeah. God is that way, then I think I'd have to sign off the, you know, I think I'd have to go a different way. <laughs> <laughs> because who would want to serve a God like that? Yeah. Not me. Not me. Not no, me. thank you. <laughs> uh, hard pass from Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if I unpacked it clearly enough for everyone who's listening, but I think that this is a very important way to, um, to move into at least a fuller understanding of God, if not away from a salvation understanding of God. Um, and as I said in the outset, you know, love then um, in this way of thinking about people as being valuable and loved, even if they're not lovable by our standards, um, it, it changes love from a mechanism and within the, the exchange way of doing things and an actual <laughs> lived experience for us. Yeah. I was gonna say it's it's less of a transaction and more of a gift like it's supposed to be. Yes. You yeah. know, like we talk about the free gift of God. <laughs> it's exactly. it's not, you know, free. Yeah. I, I know there's plenty to say about gifts and we've talked about that before. I just I more meant it in the sense of like it's not a transaction, it's benevolence. It's, 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 you know, it's like the bank saying, you know what, go to town. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Florida. No, it's true. But it's, yeah. it also adds to the fullness of what love can really be. And I think, you know, uh, John says, uh, well, Jesus says in John that, that we'll be known by our love. Uh -huh. And that has been so fully twisted to say that we'll be known as the people who give you the opportunity for eternal life. And that's not at all what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, we'll be known for, we have such a love, uh, a lack of understanding, experiencing and appreciating love that it, it's creating just uh, a sheer lonely, you know, we, we're talk about all the problems in the church, like there's the abuse of power and so on and so forth. But one of the things we haven't talked a whole lot about it's how the church is full of lonely, unloved people. Mm -hmm. And why else would you seek power if you're not lonely and unloved, right? Right. Um, 
Well, and, and, and I mean, correlation there. We can't really blame them, given that we spent all of, all of their lives, or however long they've been with us, telling them that they're in danger of hell when they mess up, or God right. really wants to throw it into hell, but Jesus somehow did the magic and made it not happen. You know, right. um, like that's why even people like me spent most of his life thinking that God, not sure that God loved me. Why? Well, because I mean, you know, again, yeah. if only right? you knew me, right? Right. That's- Something that Christians will say, if only you knew what I did, you wouldn't love me. Right. And that's the kind of love that I don't think God has that. And and, and that's the kind of love that I want to have, which is um, easy to say and harder to do. I think the transactional nature of this is not just a Christian thing. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. all kind of. Yeah intertwined with lots of stuff, but it's also a human thing. It's also a cultural thing, but like, you know, I think it says this too. It's easy to love people who love you, right? I do pretty well with that. Well, most of the time, not always, um, because, (laughs) you know, it's easier. It's not easy, (laughs) right? Because I'm selfish, just like everybody else, you know, but I want that kind of love for the people who aren't easy to love, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's what I think God as love Right. I think that this kind of godly love that focuses on life rather than eternal life, um, that's the kind that I want to have. And that's the kind I want to work on and try and, and you know, <laughs> repent when I fail so I can do better next time. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. I think that's that's what repentance means. Right. To me, is like I didn't love this person as much as I could have or in the way that they needed because I was selfish and loved myself mm-hmm. more. <laughs> right. You know, and so that's what I'm repenting of. And next. And, and how do I how do I uh, make things right? Well, I don't accept that. That's the kind of love I try to have um, in the future, because that's what makes things right. 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 And yeah. it's not like. There's a whole dimension of, yes, it's not just like I go, I'm going to try really hard and therefore I do it. Although there's, there's some, there is some effort required. I don't care what they tell you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but is. it's also, that's God's work of love in me is giving me that love and all of us. I'm just using me as a stand in here for other people. Yeah. So you were using have, and it sounded like you were saying both to, to just nuance it a bit. Um, you want that love given to you and you also want to give that love to others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you, those who are listening, I know this is true for Ryan and it's certainly true for me because I can speak to my own experiences. I can't speak to anyone else's. So when you give that kind of love, it's infectious. Mm -hmm. It is invigorating it is like oh <laughs> this is what it is to really live is to give this kind of love where people really feel valuable they really feel as if you care um and it's it, it's not it's got so many implications to it that i don't think that that can be contained within one expression of what god's love is um, we need to focus more on just love as the, as I'm sorry, as God is who is love mm-hmm. wanting to give that love as often as God can give it through us, certainly, but on God's own as well, whenever that comes up and whenever that, you know, faith expression uh, really does that for us, that would be sacraments, right? Word and mm-hmm. sacrament, but um, the fullness of what that love is it gets to that isolation and loneliness and a church say we get into implications for me a church is a church when it's really giving out that love to each other in order to be able to continue to give that to others you know outside of the church and church being a community not a worship service or a sunday gathering or whatever um a church is not the place where you go and you get saved it's a place where you are loved or shown and demonstrate because we don't really believe we're worthy, right? We never do. So we go to church and we're reminded how worthy we are by the word, but also by each other. And it's kind of like uh, Martin Luther had this idea of the faucet and the spigot. So um, whenever you need to to experience that love, you can just open up the means of grace, the God's word, whatever it is, fellowship with others, word and sacrament, blah, blah, blah. And you just receive more and it overflows. It always overflows. That's how much God gives and how much he wants to give. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think about as a concrete example of this kind of thing, there is a, uh, a town about 20 minutes from where I live. And last, was it last winter, I think, where it was just really cold? It might have been the winter before, but they were letting people who didn't have a home stay in the church overnight. And because, I mean, it was like oh. minus 10 outside. Like it was yeah. just like, you know. And um, anyway, the city started being assholes about it, saying, you know, you can't do this because you're blah, blah, blah. So I love this. They decided to start having all night prayer vigils is what they said, because <laughs> then anybody can come to an all night prayer vigil. Right. And yeah. it's just like it's not so much about the take that to the city, although I do enjoy that because yeah, it's, it's like, come on, find something to worry about. That's not giving people without a home somewhere to sleep when it's called right to the to the city. But mm -hmm. it's like that's the kind of love that one is really good for the people who need somewhere to sleep. But it's also really good for the people who are finding ways for that to happen. Like, that's the other thing yeah. about this kind of love is that it's the rising tide in all boats kind of thing. Right. right. Like, it's yeah. good for the people being loved. And, you know, think about a time in, in, in your life when you've loved somebody in that way, whether it's your spouse or friend or somebody else or whoever. And it's like, think about how that feels. Right. It's just it, it's not just that you're happy. It's like there's some way that love changes your heart or your, yeah. your whatever part of you that's more than just your brain um, in a fundamental way. And like, that's the kind of thing that God does in us. And then that we, uh, that God helps us realize in other people too, because yeah. that's how God loves. And that full circle brings us to what Jesus says, we'll be known by our love. Like right. if you're doing that, when we're doing that, people people know they they know who you are and it doesn't have to be uh, a preconceived notion of what love is right we all express it differently and i think that's something we could do to always get more complicated which i love to do and we don't have time to do today but um nevertheless by doing that by having that kind of love giving that kind of love uh people will know and then you tie into Peter, right? Uh, give an answer for what you believe in and why, why are you this way? Well, let me tell you, there's this God that loves me more than I can possibly imagine. And it is just so invigorating and, and, uh, infectious mm -hmm. to give this love. And I just, I can't help myself. I've got to do it. Well, and that's what I think it means when it says they'll know, you know, them by their fruit, right? One of those fruits being, what's the first one? Love, right? Yeah. But right. even all the rest of them, it kind of flows out of there, right? People who love are people who have joy, you know, peace, right. patience, kindness, goodness, all those. I think um, that's what it means when we'll, when it says you'll bear fruit, because that's the kind of fruit that people can eat. Yeah. <laughs> not the not the weird rotten watermelons we've been given people or whatever it, it might be, you know, and saying, ha, ah, here you go. Like this, this will stop you from starving, but that's about all it does. Maybe right. if not even, you know, so yeah. It's a I good just, metaphor. Good analogy because yeah. it's so gross and yeah. Right. Like it might make you not starve, but it's not going to be nice to eat and it's not going to feel good afterwards. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's really how that other stuff feels. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to think about in, in the reframing it that way of uh, we've really we've really missed that part of of the gospel. We talk about the gospel. I remember there was a song we learned in kids church about the gospel and a word is love. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think about that in terms of love in this in this way. And then that makes a lot more sense than the gospel in a word is love, which means I probably won't burn you to a crisp. Right. Yeah. <laughs> probably being right. the operative. Word, probably right? depending on how you do, you know. And I guess I should say, I don't even, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious there. I'm not trying like, while I do enjoy mocking things, that's not really my main point there. I do it only to hopefully illustrate how absurd it really is to view God in that way as the primary way that we see God. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that that is as good a place as any to, I won't say stop for today. I think I'll say pause. Now, we don't know exactly what we're going to talk about next week. So you should come back and listen so that you can find out. I know you will be on the edge of your seats all week waiting to see where it goes from here. But uh, I think we'll, we'll pause there for today. And I would just encourage all of us, Nate and me included, um, to think about implications of that or possibly what are some other ways that uh or some other facets of this subject of salvation that we haven't thought about before um in a way that really i think can reveal god's character in to us and and how god works in our lives and all of those things um i hope it you know in a way it, it it's like i said before it's a little difficult at times because i want to revert back to my knee jerk you know, this is what I was told, but it's also kind of exciting. Um, it's not just a novelty or freshness, although there is that. I think it's more of like, it really feels more like gospel. It really feels more uh, like God in the way that we all want to see God, that we do see God. So just encourage everybody to think about that and then come back next week for wherever we go from here. Um, I couldn't tell you what it was if I wanted to. And yeah, I look forward to seeing where we go this year, though. We're going to try and focus more on this sort of thing and we'll see what happens. But I think we're regardless of where we go with the podcast and whatever emphases we look at in terms of salvation or anything else, this really does help me feel like things will be okay. Um, you know, that they are and they will be because... God, like always, is going to take care of us. 